Hello, and welcome to Based on a True Story, the podcast that compares your favorite Hollywood movies with history. Today, we're going all the way back to the year 1960 as we learn about the four-time Oscar winner, Spartacus, directed by Stanley Kubrick and starring Kirk Douglas, Laurence Olivier, and Gene Simmons. Spartacus tells the story of an uprising of slaves led by slave-turned-gladiator named Spartacus. The revolt comes as a surprise to some and a political opportunity for others in Rome as it challenges the might of the Roman Empire from within. To help us separate fact from fiction in the movie, we'll learn from Barry Strauss. Barry is a historian and author of The Spartacus War, an authoritative and the first popular history of the revolt in English. He's also the professor of history and classics at Cornell University. Before we bring Barry on the line, let's set up our game, Two Truths and a Lie. If you're new to the show, here's how it works. I'm about to say three things. Two of them are true. And that means one of them, well, one of them is an all-out lie. Are you ready? Okay, here they are. Number one, the uprising lasted for three years. Number two, Spartacus was not hung on a cross. Number three, Verinia really was Spartacus's wife. Got him? Okay, now as you're listening to our story today, your challenge is to identify which one of those is the lie. And of course, we'll do a recap at the end of the episode to see how well you did. All right, now it's time to connect with Barry Strauss about the historical accuracy of Spartacus. Before diving into some of the details about the movie, if you were to take a step back and look at the classic 1960 movie Spartacus from an overall perspective and give it a letter grade for historical accuracy, what would it get? Probably get a B minus. That's pretty good for a 60s movie, I would imagine. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. Now, at the very beginning of the movie, we find out that Spartacus came from the Greek province of Thrace, yeah. which was con conquered by the Romans. Then he was sold into slavery before the age of 13, worked in the mines of Libya. We're kind of getting a backstory set up. Then we see a man named Lentulus Batiatus purchase a bunch of slaves, Spartacus being one of them. He takes them back to his gladiator school and estates in Capua. Yes. How did the movie do setting up Spartacus, making this transition kind of from slavery to becoming a gladiator? Pretty poorly. So um, the movie is based on a novel from the 1950s by Howard Fast. And it's a really, really interesting novel. Howard Fast was called before the House Un-American Activities Committee, and he refused to name names. And so he did a small prison term. I guess no prison term is small. He was in prison, I think, for a matter of months. And he decided to write a book about Spartacus when he got out. And he did. And it's really a very good novel whether we share his politics or not. It was quite a good novel. And that's what the movie's based on. And the novel got a lot of things right, but it got some things wrong. And it's a novel. It's not history. So he has author's license. So Spartacus does indeed come from Thrace. Um, Thrace is roughly modern Bulgaria, though it's part of Greece, part of Turkey, and maybe part of Romania as well. Um, and his people weren't Greek. They were Thracian. And uh, they were a rough and tough People of warrior, people, great hunters, um, lots of gold. And um, Spartacus was not sold into slavery at the age of 13. He didn't go work in the mines. He actually was a soldier. And 
his tribe was allied with the Romans. They actually, um, he was an ally of the Romans and he fought for the Romans. And he, um, as, as someone who fought for the Romans, he, Rome had some allies in Thrace, but most of Thrace was still independent, free. And as someone in that position, he, it, the sources give us two stories as to what might have happened. Either he deserts the Romans and he decides to fight against them on behalf of the rest of Thrace that's still independent, or he is, while fighting for the Romans in an allied unit, he's captured by the enemy. He's hoping that the Romans will ransom him and bring him back to uh, freedom. But instead, what they do is they actually buy him as a slave and sent him off to Italy as a slave. Tremendously unjust. And I, in either case, whether he was a deserter opposed to Roman imperialism or he was an ally who was abused by the Romans and not ransomed to freedom, he ends up a slave in Italy and he's really bitter about what's happened. Was that something unique to his situation or was that something that the Romans often did that they would buy them as slaves even though they weren't? Oh, well, ma many people in antiquity, especially in this period, they're free and they end up in slavery. They're either kidnapped or they're prisoners of war. One way or another, uh, they end up as slaves. So not not necessarily unique, like they had a, a grudge against Spartacus. No, or anything, not at but, all. You know, was, no, I yeah. think uh, on the contrary, they didn't treat him as a person. And I think that's part of the problem. Mm. Now, at the beginning of the movie, they do mention they don't really mention a specific date, I should say. But in the opening monologue, it talks about I'll quote here, you know, in the last century before the birth of the new faith called Christianity, I could see how it might be trying to set up, you know, before the birth of Christ, but it also mentions Christianity mm -hmm. and the religion wasn't necessarily born with Christ. <laughs> so, you know, um, some suggestion, you know, starting centuries later at the Council of Nicaea. Right. So I was left kind of confused with the way the movie opens, very vague mention of this sort of timeline. What time period was Spartacus alive in? So Spartacus, um, Spartacus revolt last from 73 to 71 BC or BCE. And so it is the, the, the last century uh, before the common era. That's when Spartacus lives. And we figure, figure that Spartacus was just maybe about 30 at the time. So if you imagine him being born uh, around the year 100 or so, 100 BC, that's about right. Okay. Okay. I'm sure it's no surprise that I believe we can learn from history. And that includes my own personal history too. You know how your phone will remind you of photos that you took on this day a few years ago? Well, I just had one pop up and it reminded me of a time a few years ago when my daughter and I were heading out on a four hour drive to a state park. And it couldn't have been more like 10 minutes into the drive when my check engine light turned on and my car just started shaking really, really bad. Needless to say, we ended up spending the rest of the day at the mechanic instead of the park. Not only was that day ruined, but all of a sudden I had a huge unexpected bill to figure out how to pay. And I really wish I had known about today's sponsor then because that would have relieved a lot of stress. Earn In helps alleviate financial anxiety by giving you access to your pay as you work instead of waiting for the next paycheck. You can get up to $100 a day or up to $750 per pay period. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in True Story under podcast when you sign up, and it'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. 
Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earn In. In the movie, there is a, that mentioned earlier, there's that gladiator school. Yeah. We see another former slave named Marcellus. He's training Spartacus now. Were there really gladiator schools like that with former slave turned gladiators that are leading the training? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, There were gladiator schools and the center of gladiator schools was a city called Capua, located about 125 miles south of Rome. It's inland from from Naples. Um, And it had been a great city in Italy. It was allied, an enemy of Rome, conquered by Rome, allied with Rome, then rebelled against Rome. And one of the ways the Romans were punished the people of Capua after their rebellion was uh, they made them host these gladiator schools, which is not really something you wanted to have in your city because you didn't want to have these schools that are full of tough young thugs who might break out and cause trouble. Was that a common thing that they did break out often? It's a common thing that they could get. Not, no, it's not a common thing that they break out often, but it's a common thing that they could get up to no good. I mean, they're violent men and these gladiator barracks tend to have uh, security around them, uh, narrow entrances, high walls. It's not really something you want in your neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that, that, that makes sense. <laughs> Another concept that we see in the movie, uh, while they're at the gladiator school, they bring the women in, yes. uh, as the movie puts it, for companionship for the men. I got the sense that's just, you know, 1960s movie way of trying to soften up what the women are really used for. That's how we get introduced to a woman named Vrinia, mm-hmm. who gets paired with Spartacus and almost immediately the two establish what seems to be actual feelings for each other right. and not to get too far of the storyline she does end up later becoming Spartacus' wife. Yes. Was Spartacus really married to Vrenia? Uh Spartacus had a, a woman, in effect his wife, whether legal or by common law, but it was not Vrenia. So in the book, there's this woman named Vrenia, and she comes from Britannia. No doubt that's a way of appealing to an English-speaking audience. Britannia hadn't been conquered by Rome yet, so that's not very likely. Um, oh. She came from Thrace. His woman came from Thrace. She was a Thracian just as he was. And probably she was his wife before. She was with him in Rome when he was first sold into slavery. Uh, Fascinating woman. She was a priestess of Dionysus, who was the national god of Thrace. And Dionysus, although he's the god of wine, he's also the god of liberation. And he is uh, kind of a, a patron of rebels against Rome in Italy and around the, the, the Mediterranean, really interesting figure. And she was kind of the propagandist of Spartacus's revolt. She said that when Spartacus was in Rome, while he was sleeping, a snake wrapped itself around his head. And she had a vision. This, the sign of the snake meant that Spartacus would do great things. And he would either end up with a very fortunate or very unfortunate fate. Unfortunately, our manuscripts disagree. Some say it was fortunate. Some say it was unfortunate. I worked with a herpetologist, a colleague of mine is a herpetologist, who assured me there, there are no snakes in Italy, then or now, that would wrap themselves around a <laughs> sleeping man's head. So this was meant to be a miracle. And the snake was the symbol of Dionysus. So it's another way to show that Spartacus had the gods on his side. So not only does he have a woman, 
And yes, the Romans did send women to gladiatorial barracks. They were for companionship. And as you say, that's a 1960s euphemism. Uh, but he had a woman who was associated with him in the rebellion. And it sounds like she, when she was with him before he was sold. That's so right. she was like, she would have come with him. Either she came with him from Thrace or she too had been enslaved in Thrace and they met in Rome. It's unclear. Unclear. Okay. But, but it wasn't like this was the first time at the no, gladiator school that no, he No, had they were love. together okay. before the gladiators. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember the exact lines of dialogue in the movie, but there was something that they mentioned. It was like, oh, I've, you know, I've never been with a woman in, in that uh, concept. So, okay. It sounds like that was a, a little fudging there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> According to the movie, the uprising itself starts because uh, Crassus buys Verinia, right. and that means that she's leaving the gladiator school. She's going to Rome, and then Spartacus finds out, and he attacks and kills the trainer we talked about, Marcellus. Mm-hmm. And then from there, the uprising grows and grows to where the slaves take over the entire estate, and it's pretty clear that it's not going to stop there. You know, you see him riding right. along the hillsides there. How well did the movie do showing how the uprising actually started? Mm, not good. <laughs> it didn't do well. Didn't do well. I love so, that response. <laughs> so, so there is a crassus. It's a big part of the story. Um, but there's no evidence that he was ever in this gladiatorial school. He wasn't going to buy Spartacus's woman. Why the revolt begins, we don't really know, except that gladiators had good reason to revolt. We, we've excavated some gladiator cemeteries. The uh, scientists have examined their, their skeletons and they tell us they had died of terrible wounds and many of them died very young. Uh, a gladiator mm. doesn't have a great lifespan ahead of him. And it's understandable why some gladiators would just want to get out of there if they could. I think that many of the gladiators like Spartacus were, were soldiers and they knew how to fight. Spartacus is not just some guy who picks up a sword. He's a, a, he's a veteran of the Roman army in an allied unit. Well, precisely what he did, we don't know. But the Thracians were famous as horsemen and as irregular, irregular warriors, special ops commandos, you might think of them as, or as guerrilla troops. Uh, along with Thracians, there were also Germans and Gauls in these barracks. There might have been other people as well uh, from other parts of the Roman Empire. There might have been people from Africa. There might have been Africans. There might have been others from Asia. Uh, there might have been others from, from different parts of Europe. We don't really know. With Spartacus having some military background there, was that one of the reasons why he was kind of the leader? Like people would look up to him if, if he was the one that had some sort of military background, maybe others didn't? Well, there are others who have military background as well. And there were really three leaders of the revolt. But Spartacus is sort of number one. I think it's because of his military... I, we have to speculate. Surely the fact that he has military background, is probably an officer, uh, has something to do with why he's chosen. But I imagine this is somebody who has leadership skills, that he's charismatic. After all, he has a woman saying that the god, the, the god Dionysus is behind him. Uh, there's been a miracle associated with him. I'm sure he's a good speaker. He's, we know from what happens in the revolt that he's somebody of principles and vision. And he's also, he's actually quite a good military commander. So I can think of all sorts of reasons why he'd be chosen. He was also a heavyweight gladiator, which means that he's one big, imposing guy. And surely that's part of it as well. Yeah, that makes sense. If we go back to the movie, yeah. the guy that I mentioned, um, 
Crassus. There's there seems to be something going on between Crassus and Gracchus in, right. in the movie. And yeah. There's these two senators in right. Rome, and they just right. seem bent on taking each other down. Can you give a little more historical context around these two Roman senators? Sure. So Gracchus, there is there is they're the Gracchi brothers, but they've been dead for more than fifty years at this point. Oh. <laughs> fifty years. There's there's no real Gracchus around in this period. There is a Crassus. Uh, Crassus is one of the leading senators and he's one of the most ambitious men in Rome. He is said to be the wealthiest man in Rome and the old guard in the Senate distrusts him. He really wants to have a great military command, make a name for himself, uh, which is how the game was played in Rome in this period. But the Senate very much doesn't want him to do that. They're, they're opposed to him doing that. So, um, there is a Crassus, but uh, and he is at odds with many in the Senate, but not with Gracchus. Okay, so maybe maybe they, that was kind of kind of a a composite character to kind of show sure. the Senate sure. that Crassus is sure. going against. Sure. But there's no evidence that Crassus has anything to do with the Spartacus revolt until later on. That- oh, okay. So okay, yeah. Well, because yeah, in the movie we see like yeah, he's he watches Spartacus fight, right. and so later on he uh, recognizes no, him. No, or- nothing, nothing, zero. It, wow. Okay. Is it plausible that he could have done that? Yeah, sure. He could have. <laughs> well, we have, we have no reason to think that he did that. Okay. Okay. The, the plan that we see in the movie that Spartacus is trying to do is not really, it, it's an uprising, but he's not really wanting to fight the Romans. He just wants to try to escape Italy. He wants to go to the seaport of uh, Brindisium, they say. And then from there, he pays some Cilician pirates, like 50 million satyrses, which not sure. I mean, trying to equate that with money today, it might be difficult, but that's for some 500 ships to take them all out of Italy right. to their homes. Right. Was that the plan? Ultimately, it's his plan, but it does look like in the beginning, he does want to get revenge. And uh, he's gathering uh, a, a large number of slaves and maybe even some poor freemen to his banner and to his cause. And they are looting Roman estates, uh, wealthy farms and estates in the area around Naples on the very fertile soil around Mount Vesuvius to begin with, and then they head further south. They want to loot Roman territory. They want to get revenge on Romans. Ultimately, Spartacus's plan is to leave Italy, but he has a hard time convincing his fellow uh, rebels to do that because, well, it's like what Willie Sutton said about why he robs banks, because that's where the money was. Italy was this very wealthy place and a place to get revenge, and they're doing quite well the rebels. So they don't want to leave. So many things surprised me when I, when I researched this book, but uh, one of the things that, that stands out is that early in the revolt, Spartacus and the rebels were cornered on Mount Vesuvius. Uh, this is a century or so before the eruption of Vesuvius. So think of it as a whole mountain. And there's only one road going down the mountains. The Romans have sent um, a, uh, a body of several thousand soldiers under a commander who closed off the route, and they think the, the rebels are finished. Uh, they underestimate. Uh, the rebels make weapons. Uh, they uh, make weaker shields from uh, the vegetation there. Uh, they make spears. They sharpen the end. And they hire, hire, harden them in fire. And the amazing thing they do is they take their wild vines growing near the top of the Sumius. They weave ropes out of them, and they repel down the mountainside rather than taking the road down. We don't know what time of day this happened. I like to believe it was at dusk or in the pre-dawn hours because they catch the Romans unaware. 
the Romans are either uh, literally or figuratively, uh, figuratively sleeping when Spartacus and his army um, come down the mountain. And by the way, many of these weapons were made by women. We know there were women uh, with them on the mountainside. So Spartacus and company come down the mountain and they slaughter uh, this uh, garrison of Roman troops and really shock the Romans as to what they could do. I think it's just a brilliant piece of irregular warfare. Um, and the fact that these rebel slaves and gladiators could do this, especially early on in their campaign when they don't have much experience, speaks really well with them. And if I were the Romans, I would have been kind of afraid. It seems like that. Yeah, that would be a big, oh, wow. Okay, we're, we're underestimating these people quite a bit. That's right. Absolutely. And it would have been, considering the movie came out in 1960, well, I guess it was before Castro had succeeded in Cuba. But, you know, um, Hollywood should have been thinking about irregular warfare and rebellions and what, what it could do, because um, this was uh, the beginning of an era in which there'd be many of these rebellions around the world, and of course, culminating in Vietnam. Um, so, interesting what this took place. That makes sense. And something as I was watching the movie too that um, kind of stood out to me was they mentioned, like I talked about earlier, that Spartacus was sold into slavery at age 13. I think uh, Verinia mentioned something similar. So, and now they want to go home, but they didn't really, it's like they didn't really have much of a home to go back to because their whole life was what they knew there. Yeah, except that's not really true of Spartacus. Well, <laughs> he did have a home to go back to. He was, he was enslaved as an adult. Yeah, yeah. That, well, you know, except for that part. <laughs> the movie explains the Roman strategy to try to defeat right. Spartacus's army is uh, they have, we don't really see him, but they have Pompey and his legions at uh, Regium, while a Roman fleet with Achilles' army will land at Brundusium, and Crassus has paid off the Cilician feat, so they're no, they don't have their ships right. anymore. They're just, just kind of selling out to the highest bidder. And so... In the movie, Spartacus feels like he has no choice but to go fight Crassus's army in Rome. Was that really the strategy that the Romans had for defeating Spartacus's uprising? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> so the uprising lasts for three years. And when it begins, the Romans are in bad shape. They sent most of their armies to put down rebellions east and west in Spain and in what is nowadays Turkey, and also dealing with pirates in the east and uh, around Cyprus and Crete. And they don't have great armies in Italy. They don't have veterans. And there's no police force to speak of. So they have to put together a scratch army to fight Spartacus. And Spartacus wipes the floor with them. You know, he puts mm. them right, left, and center. And Spartacus and his rebels are able to march south from central Italy all the way to the southern part of the Italian boot where they winter. Uh, they take over a city, they winter, it's an area that's very fertile agriculturally, rather luxurious, and has lots and lots of Roman states. And they're happily looting them. They build an army. They capture wild horses. They have a cavalry. They start uh, training the men like Roman legionaries. They've captured standards of Roman legions, that is to say, banners and symbols of the legions, which they can rally behind. You know, they're trophies to show how great they've done. And they also, they've captured a lot of metal. They use it, they melt it down, they make weapons. They buy supplies from merchants who are happy to sell it to them. So they're building quite an army. And the Romans are unable to defeat it with the forces that they have, which is why the Senate finally says to Crassus, okay, 
we will let you put together an army. Because Crassus has the money and the political connections to convince veterans to come out of retirement and to form an army that can finally defeat Spartacus. Because Spartacus is doing all too well. What about in the movie, there was a concept of the, the Roman legion. And that was kind of the impression I got was, um, I think when the uprising first started and they were at the gladiator school, there were some soldiers there, but, um, as he's, as he was escaping his own estates, you know, he's like, I'm, you know, going to get the, the Roman legion to come and, and help, you know, I don't trust these guys. Basically, I don't trust my own guards. And so I got the impression that the the Roman garrison, I guess I should say, I, I believe it was, that was right. kind of the ones that were right. called on to deal with this. Uh-huh. Was Were they a, a part of it then? Yeah, I mean, there are Roman soldiers in Italy, but it's not the A-team. The A-team is a problem. <laughs> uh, these are, they're not very good. They're not experienced. They're not the people that you want to put up against these rebel slaves. And of course, in the beginning, the Romans, like the masters in all slave societies, they look down on their slaves and they say slaves are not capable of being soldiers. The Romans paid dearly for their arrogance because uh, led by 70 odd gladiators and uh, many of these slaves were soldiers. They had been soldiers when they were enslaved as POWs. Many of the slaves were shepherds. And it's an odd thing about Roman slavery that they allowed shepherds to carry arms. The reason is that shepherds are out there in the mountains for half of the year, and there are bandits and there are wild animals, and they have to protect themselves. So uh, the shepherds who are tough and hardy and armed are pretty good material to make soldiers. Spartacus is clearly, and his, you know, his lieutenants, they're really very good at forming an army. And this army does wins a number of victories over the Romans up and down the Italian peninsula. And you mentioned they did actually train them yes. some, like yes. the, the gladiators led training almost. We saw that in the movie too. Like yeah. they set up their own self gladiator school almost. Yeah. No, they're not training them as gladiators. They're training them as soldiers. Right. And they fight conventional battles against the Romans and they win. You know, on the one hand, this seems incredible. On the other hand, remember that a lot of these guys had been soldiers. They had some military training. There are enough of them who have that, that they can whip the others into being soldiers. And uh, they have two winters when there's not much fighting going on, when they can do this. It only takes a couple of months to turn raw recruits into decent, if not veteran soldiers. And so um, they do this. And there, there is a big battle at the end of the movie yes. where we see the army of slaves from Spartacus fighting against the Romans. Yes. And they seem to hold their own for a while, but ultimately in the end, the Romans do win. How well did the movie do showing the defeat of Spartacus's army? Well, to be honest, I don't remember entirely uh, that scene in the movie. What I do remember and everybody does is the famous I'm Spartacus scene. But, (laughs) um, you know, the movie does a good job. The movie is right in saying there is a climactic battle. There is a climactic battle. It is a Hollywood touch that really histor- is historically accurate. I don't recall if the movie gets this right or not, but in the real battle, Spartacus's strategy was, first of all, to make what political scientists call a credible commitment, to show to his men that he was all in. He does that by slaughtering his horse. He sacrifices his horse before the battle, you know, cuts the horse's throat. It's gruesome, but it says, I have no escape. It's all or nothing. And then knowing that he is outmanned by the Romans, because by now the Romans have the A-team. You know, they do have recalled their legions and 
Crassus has built a new army. Uh, they're really capable of defeating Spartacus. Spartacus's plan is to cut off the head of the enemy army. He and a small group of men are aiming for Crassus and the command center of this army. And they get close to Crassus. They actually, when it starts, they do pretty well, but they never actually make it to him. And here the movie is completely wrong. Spartacus dies in the battle. Uh, oh. He's killed in the <laughs> battle. And his body is never found. Furthermore, there are really three separate, a number of different groups of rebels after the battle. Many of them are taken prisoner. We can talk about what happens to them in a moment. Some of them run away to the mountains back in the south of Italy, where they had spent the two winters before. And they survive for another 10 years in those mountains, living in a community of free runaway slaves before the Romans send legions down there to wipe them out. A third group heads north, trying to escape through North Italy and ultimately over the Alps. But they are captured by Pompey, Rome's greatest general in this period, who's on his way back to Italy from Spain. And Pompey slaughters several thousand of these surviving slaves. And he sends a letter to the Senate saying, I defeated Spartacus. I put down the rebellion. Well, and some of the, in, in the movie, I don't remember the exact line of dialogue, but they do imply that when they capture them, they're basically turning them back into slaves. Uh, that's kind of yeah. what the impression was at first. Of course, we find out what happens later. But so, but they did. What did they do with the prisoners? Then did they turn them back into slaves? Uh, probably some of them. But the most famous and infamous thing that they do is they crucify six thousand along the road between Capua and Rome. It's probably the Appian Way. There are two roads between Capua and Rome. Well, let's say it's the Appian Way. And this is tremendously expensive to do. This is a slave society, and every slave is worth money. Every slave you kill, you've taken away someone's money. And the other thing that costs money, believe it or not, it actually costs money to set up 6,000 crosses because you got you to cut the wood. Only a man like Crassus who has the money to pay for this and perhaps to um, compensate the owners who lost their slaves could do something like this. Why does he do this? For two reasons. One, he wants to advance his own agenda. He's not allowed to celebrate a triumph in Rome, which every victorious general wants to do. Why not? Because according to Roman custom, you cannot celebrate a triumph over slaves because slaves are subhuman. They're not, they're, they're not equal to Romans. Um, it's very, very big if you think about it. The second reason that, so by doing this, by having this spectacular display, he's advertising himself to Rome. And in, in, it's horrible to think about it, but in a way it's a show, like a gladiatorial show. The other reason that he does it is more public spirited, if you will. He wants to advertise to everyone in Italy, don't do this again. Don't have any more slave rebellions, because if you do, this is how you will end up. So that's, those are the two reasons why he does it. Do we know if that was something that he was um, kind of planning throughout to for his point? Or when you mentioned with, with Pompey taking over or taking some of the credit for yeah. it, was he trying to pull some of that credit back to himself? Yeah, that's a really almost. good question. So it, we don't know when Crassus came up with this plan, but it's a reasonable thought to say that Crassus is trying to respond to Pompey by yeah. uh, getting some of the credit for himself again. 
Okay. Well, then I guess in the next part in the movie, I'm going to assume is, is pretty much made up because we at the end we do see Spartacus, who he said had already died, but uh, he's fighting Antoninus. Right. right. They're being forced. Like, okay, you fight each other, and then the one that wins will be crucified with the other slaves. Yeah, that's all made up. <laughs> all made up. <laughs> Body. Yeah, and then of course you know the very last scene you see Verenia with their baby son. You know. Yeah, nah. He'll remember Spartacus. It so that, that just sounds like a very uh, Hollywood ending. No, I think uh, be in the for, book as I recall, but but yeah, our Hollywood ending. It's not reality. Spartacus died in the battle against Crassus, and as they said, his body was never found. How well did the movie do kind of overall transporting us back to the sights and sounds that we might have seen during Spartacus's time? Well, it it did some good things, I think. You know, first of all, Rome was a slave society, you know, one of the most brutally and, what shall I say, large-scale slave societies in history. And the movie does a good job showing that. And gladiatorial games were very brutal and does a good job of showing that as well. The gladiators did not take their fate lying down. They were unhappy about it. Um, remember this one scene where Woody Strode, the black gladiator in the movie, I forget his name in the movie, he, he tries to kill the Romans who are watching his performance and he gets killed in, in turn. But I think that degree of anger is absolutely right. Spartacus has led the most famous and most dangerous slave revolt against Rome, but it wasn't the only slave revolt against Rome. There were two other really big slave revolts against Rome in the 50 years or so before Spartacus. And there were some smaller ones as well. So I think the movie does a good job of that. And some of the arrogance and brutality, uh, just crap, the arrogance of the Roman elite comes out as well. I, I mean, it, the impression I get from what you're saying there is that because Rome was the big power and then they don't see the slaves as as being equals, then it doesn't really matter what size army it is. There's no way that they could do that. And so some of that arrogance just, I'm sure, fed into some right. of the losses that they had. Right. And this is also sort of the golden age of the Roman slave trade. So later on in the Roman Empire, there's still tra- there's still slavery, slavery for centuries before it's, it fades away to replace, be replaced with a kind of serfdom. But in in later years, most of the slaves are household slaves or bought within Italy. In this period, Rome is conquering peoples all around the Mediterranean and in Northern Europe. And they are kidnapping and deporting hundreds of thousands of people who end up in slavery in Italy. And many of them had been free and many of them were educated. They were sophisticated people. They had a lot of resources. They weren't going to take this line down. So slaves are incredibly cheap in this period because the Romans are getting them everywhere. But they're also dangerous because they had they knew what it was like to be free. I, I want to ask about um, something that is kind of an, an underlying tone that we see in the movie. Um, we mentioned I mentioned earlier Gracchus. Obviously, right. we we talked about him already. But um, there's this balance of power that seems to shift, and it really is highlighted, I think, kind of towards the end when we see a young Julius Caesar switching allegiances from Gracchus to Crassus. Right where we see the, it seems like the uprising is is kind of used to alter who was in power in Rome. And at the end, Crassus ends up on top. Was that used as a tool to kind of shift to where Crassus had even more power coming out of it? Yes, I think that Crassus did gain political power and recognition from his role in playing down uh, Spartacus. This was a feather in his cap, but he must have been furious about the fact that Pompey 
manages to grab some of the credit. Ultimately, you know, the real currency of the realm, the real coin of the realm was victory over foreign foes, free people who the Romans could say that they defeated. And Pompey had that, and he would gain even more of it after this revolt. Crassus doesn't have it. And so he gained some credit from Spartacus, putting down Spartacus, but he's not in a league with Pompey to celebrate his triumphs. And so this is a nice stepping stone for Crassus, but it's not going to be enough. And in fact, he ends his life trying to defeat the Persian Empire called the Parthian Empire. It's a battle that takes place in what is today Turkey near the Syrian border. And Crassus, is, uh, his army is crushed and he's killed. Um, so he fails. That's really what he's mean. Hmm. Was Caesar involved in, in any of that at all? Or was he just kind of thrown in there as a, because we recognize his name? <laughs> no, it's really interesting. And we know that Caesar held a uh, sort of a, a low-level officer's position at the time of the revolt. And uh, we also know that in uh, Caesar's Gallic War, Caesar is giving a speech to the troops. And at one point, the troops are afraid of fighting Germans. And Caesar says, don't be afraid of them. We defeated people like that in a slave revolt in Italy, referring to Spartacus's revolt. That might mean that Caesar was part of the team that put down the revolt, but we were really not sure. We're not even sure hmm. of that. But it's a reasonable, it's a reasonable uh, guess. Okay, okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on to chat about Spartacus. For listeners who want to learn more in the show notes for this episode, I'll make sure to put a link to your fantastic book called The Spartacus War. You also have your own podcast newsletter. I'll make sure to add those links to the show notes for this episode as well so people can sign up for email updates. And then, of course, there's your latest book called The War That Made the Roman Empire, Antony, Cleopatra, and Octavian and Actium. Before I let you go, can you share a little bit about your new book and your website where people can find all your work? Sure. Well, uh, my new book is, uh, once again, uh, there's a Hollywood angle, Antony and Cleopatra. Uh, there is the infamous 1962, I think it is, um, Hollywood uh, epic and bomb Cleopatra, in which Elizabeth Taylor played uh, Cleopatra and Richard Burton played uh, Mark Antony. There's also Shakespeare's play, of course, Antony and Cleopatra. And this is a real historical reality. Um, it is uh, one of the greatest challenges that Rome ever faced was in Cleopatra, the queen of Egypt. Once again, it's not fiction. It was a real life story and a real life Cleopatra. And she wasn't just a sex bot. Um, she was a strategic, talented, cunning ruler in a league with, uh, you know, um, Catherine the Great or um, Elizabeth I of, of England or you know, late Queen Elizabeth as well. She was a great female ruler. And it, with her alliance with Mark Antony, she uh, forced the Roman Empire to fight for its future. And um, in the Actium War, which took place mostly in uh, on the west coast of Greece and culminated in a great naval battle at, at Actium, um, it was Antony and Cleopatra versus the forces of Octavian as to who would control the Roman Empire and whether the empire um, would face east or, as it really did, face west. If the battle had gone the other way, uh, we might be speaking a language based on Greek rather than a language based on Latin. So there's a lot at stake. And uh, the book is a detective story. It's a historical detective story, piecing together um, what really happened. As in the case with Spartacus, uh, the sources are terrible and and they're very biased. And we have to read between the lines, use archaeology. We've got more archaeology for this than with Spartacus, but 
I had a blast doing it. And I, I think readers enjoy it as well. My website is barrystrauss.com. And um, uh, I post all my latest uh, things there. I blog once every two weeks. I update my blog. Uh, I do many podcasts. Uh, I have my own podcast series. I write op-eds, um, all sorts of things. So, and, and you can read all about my books. I have a whole variety of books on the ancient world there. It's, it's all available at barrystrauss.com. Fantastic. Thank you again so much for your time, Barry. Thanks, Dan. This episode of Based on a True Story was produced by me, Dan Lefebvre. I'd like to thank Barry Strauss once again for sharing his knowledge about the true story behind Spartacus. If you want to learn more about what really happened, I would highly recommend you go check out Barry's excellent book called The Spartacus War. And if you're looking to learn more about ancient history, definitely go check out Barry's podcast and all of his work over at barrystrauss.com. As always, I've got links to that in the show notes for this episode. But if you're driving or not able to get there now, those links are always on the show's home on the web based on a true story podcast.com. Okay, now it's time for the answer to our two truths and a lie game from the beginning of the episode. As a quick refresher, here are the two truths and one lie. Number one, the uprising lasted for three years. Number two, Spartacus was not hung on a cross. Number three, Verinia really was Spartacus's wife. Did you catch which one is a lie? Let's start with number one. The uprising lasted for three years. That is true. As we learned, the uprising of slaves that we see Spartacus leading in the movie really did happen, and it lasted for three years. Next up is number two. Spartacus was not hung on a cross. That is also true. And by true, I mean it's true that he was not hung on a cross like we see at the big ending of the movie. In truth, Spartacus died in battle. That means number three is the lie. Verinia really was Spartacus' wife. As we learned, even though Spartacus did have a woman who was his wife, whether legal or by common law, it was not Verinia. If you found today's episode entertaining, if you find value in what you're listening to, if you like what I do, you can give back at based on a true story podcast.com slash support. Once again, that's based on a true story podcast.com slash support. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. And I'll chat with you again really soon.